We're going to be speaking for the next few minutes about one of the NFL's most famous families, a family with three first-rate quarterbacks. We're talking about the Manning family. That would be the father, Archie, and his two sons, Peyton and Eli. And the book at hand is In the Name of the Father, Family Football and the Manning Dynasty. And the author, uh, Mark Rybowski, has been on the morning show before, uh, most recently, I believe, to talk about his biography of the Supremes, a very different threesome from the uh, three Mannings that we're going to be talking about uh, today. And the Manning family uh, form a very interesting legacy, and uh, their stories are are quite fascinating uh, in and of themselves and also sort of the story of the dynamic of the family as a whole. I'm excited uh, about the next few minutes uh, to talk about the book, again, called In the Name of the Father. Mark Rabowski, we welcome you back to The Morning Show. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. What drew you to the story of the Mannings in the first place? What what piqued your interest enough to uh, make it uh, a, a big project for you? I guess you might call this the boy group, huh? <laughs> you know, instead of the girl group. Um, <laughs> No, as you said, the context of the story is just fascinating. I don't think it's really been uh, been taken for that by people. It's you know because of their you know their flash and 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 you know the the name you know and their brand and everything like that. But I saw it almost like a novel. You know, I'm a northern boy. I'm a New Yorker, but 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 I am uh, absolutely fascinated by Southern culture, Southern literature, music. I've done books on Hank Williams, Tom Landry. People who are associated with the soil of the South, you know, the mud, the dirt of the South, the ethos of the South. And this is a real Southern tale here. This is almost like a Tennessee Williams play. In fact, Tennessee Williams was a neighbor of the Manning's grandfather, grandmother and grandfather in Drew, Mississippi, early in the 20th century, Thomas, Thomas Lanier, right? He, uh, Williams and, um, he wrote about people like the Manning family, not specifically, of course, but people like them who made their their whole lives digging cotton, you know, picking cotton in the fields and, and just living day to day and getting satisfaction from where from where they could take it. And that was really, really the Manning family in Mississippi. This is long before Archie went to New Orleans and made his, you know, his his pro name there, unfortunately, with the Saints. Um, this is when he grew up in Mississippi, and the forces surrounding him were all of those that Southern history, the plantation society, the antebellum South, the good and the bad of that heritage. And um, that's what I really wanted to incorporate in this book, make it almost sound like a novel, because here you have a lot of you have a lot of twists and turns, a lot of Shakespearean kind of tragedy, his own father committing suicide, and Archie finding him at 19, when he was 19 years old, um, and turning him into a man on the spot and having to live with that searing tragedy his whole life thereafter. And that sort of continued into the saga of his sons, all the twists and turns that, that, that they took. The oldest one, of course, being Cooper, who was supposedly the best athlete of the three Manning sons, who, who was the first to go to college and went to, to enrolled in Ole Miss, but never could play because he was diagnosed with stenosis of the spine. 
And um, that was a, a crushing blow to the family because they expected Cooper to carry on Archie's tradition at Ole Miss. And, and, and it affected Peyton, too, because Peyton had been Cooper's quarterback in, in high school in New Orleans, at Newman High School. And they expected to continue that at Ole Miss, being the, uh, the quarterback-receiver combination. Cooper wasn't a quarterback. He was a receiver. But that never happened, and, and I think it played, in, played into why Peyton did not go to Ole Miss, which really broke Archie's heart at the time. But then Eli comes along, and he closes the chain by going to Ole Miss and breaking Archie's old records. You know, so it's a fascinating story before they ever hit the pros. Absolutely. Right? It, it really is. And, of course, the, the, their experiences in the pros are a, another fascinating story as well. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the tone of the book just the general tone in which you talk about the Mannings and and the choice you made with that tone. And and I have no bone to pick with the tone. I mean, I, I, I actually like the tone. But it's interesting, a book like this could be written in uh, very sort of reverential terms, or the right. book could be a, a book that's all about exposing skeletons in the closet or... or uh, uh, all of their faults and failings or whatever. And I think you've adopted a tone that is a really intriguing mix. Uh, can you talk about that, about the tone, kind of the perspective that your book takes about these uh, three gentlemen? Well, I appreciate that because that's, you know, that's how I, that's how I roll basically. I mean, I, I, I take a story and tell it the way, you know, the way it happened with, with the truth, you know, or the warts and all, but also, paying homage when necessary. I mean, there's so much good about the Manning family. I'm, I'm a fan of the Manning family. You know, I'm, I want, I want Peyton's son to come along in 15 years or so and continue, <laughs> continue the legacy. I mean, the, in the last 47 years, there's been a Manning at quarterback in the NFL for 33 of those years. So, I mean, it's like an unending dynasty and, you know, <clears throat> What can you say about the the Manning brand? I mean, it's the top brand in sports. But yeah, the way I handle anything, any any story, is to just tell it the way it happened. You know, and inject some context, inject inject some maybe some personal bias, some personal leanings, you know, when, when necessary. But not to not to come, you know, not to play too heavily toward sensationalism, as you say. There's a lot of things about the Mannings. You know the, the the whole business with the train with the trainer at Tennessee, and you know that that lingers on and on because Peyton simply seems to not be able to let it go for some reason. As reason there, and I had to inject my opinion that there's some sexism involved in there because I don't think he would have done that with a male trainer. I don't think we we ever would have you know heard of any heard of it at all if it was a male trainer. Right. We should mention and to he, our Eli listeners. Had his pro- yeah, Eli we should- had his own. Pro- problems in college he was he was arrested for public drunkenness and i suppose as you say a lot of writers would concentrate on that blow that up and make it into a sort of tell-all you know <laughs> bogus sensational whatever but that's just part of the story right it's just part of the story i think and this I, is I, I try to tell whatever book i do just to put it in the context of the times these people you know inhabited and and with the mannings that's that's a good deal of time, and it, and it encompasses a lot of changes in Southern culture, especially when they went when they were in college. Don't forget that Archie used to come out on the field at Ole Miss carrying the Confederate flag, you know, with Colonel Reb, 
you know, to the strains of Dixie. It was, there, was over, there were overt symbols of racism at, at Mississippi University at the time. Not that Archie was a, ra- you know, a racist, and not that he was, you know, uh, particularly happy doing that, but it's what, what any Southern star athlete would be called upon to do at Mississippi. But even so, Archie had some condition, you know, was conditioned to believe in certain things that a Southern guy would would have been conditioned to do in the in the fifties, sixties, seventies. And I don't make any bones about that. I, you know, I'm I'm not going to protect anybody, you know, by ignoring something like that. Sure. But it's just part of the overall story. There's so many facets in the story. That, you know, it's just, it's just endless. Right. In fact, I think one of the things that's most interesting about the book is that, you know, we're talking about these three guys, and they are th- each their own person. They are not carbon copies of each other, and yet they are all part of the same family. They all came out of the South. They all are football players. And so there are there's this intriguing blend of similarities and differences. At one point, you call them three sides of the same coin. I think it's a great way to put it. <laughs> Well, that's, it's so true, too, because, you know, in the end, they're all like the three musketeers. In the end, they're, you know, one, one is for all, all is for one. But they, but they all went, up, went their own separate paths. Even, even, even Peyton and Eli, I mean, their paths were totally different. Their personalities are totally different. Their impulses are totally different. Their generations are totally different. Because Eli's five years younger than Peyton and very rarely participated in any you know, games, uh, activities with Peyton and his buddies in his circle. And Peyton was younger than Cooper, who had his own circle, you know. And, and they're so different in personality that if you blend them all, they make up a perfect person. <laughs> but you could, but, but he, each one is so different. It's, you know, it, like, like Cooper the, the, was the cut-up, the class clown, and Peyton was the, the anal, detail-oriented teenager with a, a voracious competitiveness and ambition and Eli was none of those Eli was in fact so insulated as a child that they thought he had learning disabilities and they had to take him to psychiatrists and you know had to had to get him out of his shell believe it or not and that was uh, in large part the doing of their mother Olivia who was the sort of the unsung hero the power behind the throne she was really the one who raised them all and you know that's that's quite a quite a thing to say about it. You know, a woman of the you know fifties, sixties, uh, you know, bringing up three men, three three young men in a totally different generation. You know, so I give her a lot of credit. She's sort of the queen, you know, of 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 our sports culture. <laughs> Diver- d- d- deservedly so. Uh, we're yeah. speaking with Mark Rabowski. We're talking about his newest book, which is called "In the Name of the Father: Family, Football, and the Manning Dynasty." The book is about Archie Manning and his two sons, Peyton and Eli. I mean, that's two of his three sons, who, as Archie did, went on to be NFL quarterbacks, and it's a uh, a very, very intriguing story. Of the three, of course, the typical person today, especially anybody who's relatively young, is less likely to know about the greatness of Archie Manning uh, as as a football player himself. And, uh, and really, his talent as a quarterback cannot really be overstated, and just his talent as an athlete in general. Um, what do you think is most important for us to know in order to appreciate the greatness of quarterback Archie Manning? Yeah, it's, it's so amazing, too, 
because somebody wrote a or somebody was, went back to Drew a few years ago, Drew Mississippi, where Archie grew up and made his name as a high school quarterback. And they went to he went to the old high school, which is now closed. And it, it's it was totally the town is totally different. It was almost all white then. It's almost all African American now. And at the school, you know, the reporter asked the kids, like, you know, um, you know, the Mannings. And they said, oh, yeah, Peyton. We know Peyton. And they brought up, you know, Archie. And they say, no, we don't even know who Archie is. <laughs> and Archie was the one who put the school and the town on the map. And this is so, I mean, this is about 40, the span of what, 40 years or so, 40, 40 50 years. So <laughs> in the culture, Archie is almost Archie is forgotten as a quarterback. He's he exists as Peyton and Eli's daddy in those commercials that they do for ESPN, which are great commercials, by the way, because those guys, all of those guys, have great deadpan humor, especially Archie, who says so little, but you know he's 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 got it in his eyes, in his face, you know. But at the time, man, he was uh, he was the Southern athlete of all time. You know, he probably replaced chucking Charlie Connerly as the as the greatest Southern quarterback at that time. He was all SEC. He was, you know, all the rage. But again, the, this tragedy enters early because he never quite achieved, you know, the ultimate. He never won a Heisman. Ole Miss never won a national title under him when he was there as a quarterback. And you know, he there was a, that undercurrent of you know good. Great, but maybe not great enough, and you know that that lingers with Archie. Hmm. It hurts Archie that he never achieved what he could have and should have. Just imagine if he had been drafted by the, let's say, the Cowboys instead of the Saints, right? He might he might have been Roger Staubach before Staubach hmm. because those two were very similar in style. They were running quarterbacks who could also throw the throw the long ball. But Archie had to suffer and go to the Saints and and just be dragged down year after year by teams with no offensive line, no running game, just terrible teams. And he he you know he he ate a lot of dirt. He was sacked twelve times in a game once by the Bears, mm. you know. So I, and yet he he persevered and he he became the NFC Player of the Year one year late late in his career, which was a real triumph for him because right. he's still a bad team. And yeah. and we should and, and we should he make was the greatest quarterback. They wrote songs about him. They wrote the ballad of Archie Who, <laughs> you know, or, or, or songs about this guy. And, and we, today he's really just Archie, and I mean he's Peyton and, and Eli's dad. Right. We should make sure yeah. that people understand how highly touted he was as an NFL rookie. I mean, and how highly paid. Okay, he was a first round dra- number one draft choice. You know, and. Uh, so, so expectations yeah. ran really high, but of course, in those 13 seasons with the NFL, as you just said, he was never able to achieve the greatness that his talent might have suggested. And he he he, he held every record uh, at Ole Miss, and which was which were later broken by his son Eli. I mean, that's like a closing of the circle right there, you know, because the game had changed by the time Eli came came around. It was much more passing. Archie's day was, you know, the uh, three yards in a cloud of dust kind of thing. But he, but he was a great running quarterback. But you never, you never would deduce that by watching his sons because you know they're kind of slow-footed and plodding. And Archie was like a, a gazelle out there. You know, he would run eighty yards down the sideline on a keeper. 
he was just a great quarterback, and it's just the, the, what happened to him was, you know, I'm sure he curses his fate. What happened to him, and um, really wonders why he never became the great star that he should have been. Right, and of course, one of the things that uh, is intriguing to think about is what it's like for him to see his two sons achieve greatness in the NFL that he never achieved, which in in turn brings to mind Archie Manning's relationship with his own father, Buddy, and what it was like for Buddy to see Archie achieve the success that he did. I mean, it is so intriguing to think about kind of the, 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 the good and the bad that is tied up in one's own son's achieving greatness that you wish you yourself could have achieved. Yeah, it's, uh, when, when you're talking about a suicide, and a totally unexpected suicide, of a respected businessman, you know, good father, smart guy, good athlete, introduced his sons to football. Why a guy like that would take his own life? You know, there are a lot of layers. We'll never know. I mean, we, the only one who knew was, was Buddy himself. But I think you put your finger on it. A lot of it might have had to do with the fact that his son was so outshining him at only, you know, 15, 16 years old. was like the talk of the town was, you know, the, the galvanizing force of the whole, t- the whole town in Drew. And then when he went to Ole Miss, of course, he was, you know, so far overshadowed his father. His father, I mean, obviously on, on one level, the father was pr- very proud of him. Could not have been prouder of you know taking the Manning name and you know and 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 making it a national you know household name and you know on that level sure but on another level he was stuck in a dead end job back there selling farm equipment you know chasing after people who, who owed him money and and he was not a you know his health declined very very fast he he smoked endlessly chain smoked day to day. Uh, did not take care of himself, had the cancer and didn't didn't follow doctor's orders and just his life became a shambles and he, he fell into a, a whole nexus of depression that nobody could bring him out of and he wound up, you know, killing himself. But how you have to w- wonder why he did it the way he did. I mean, he re- he rigged this this rudimentary contraption where with a stick and a string tied to a right the, the trigger of a rifle so that he could get the angle right and shooting himself in the head. It's just a horrible, horrible story. But the worst part of it is that his son, the son that he loved and had so much pride in yet, you know, may have actually resented on some level. And he knew the son would find him because the, the family was out at a, at a wedding that day. And, and Archie said he was going to come home early to have a barbecue with Buddy. So he knew Archie would walk in the door and find his dead body. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine planning something like that? Right. What must have been going through his mind? Right. You know. What? And Archie had to live with 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 the baggage of that, and still does. Right. You can never get that out of your mind, out of your soul. Of course. But he dealt with it the best way he could by separating himself from from emotion. Archie's a he's he's on the surface a very unemotional man. And I think that that was a defense mechanism, partly in partly as a way of dealing with Buddy's suicide. Hmm. You tell us that Archie Manning himself does not pretend he was the perfect father 
to his three sons. But nevertheless, uh, he he obviously has done a whole lot of things right. Say a word about the kind of father uh, he has been, particularly to Peyton and Eli over the years. Yeah, this uh, this actually follows on the Buddy thing because I think he consciously wanted to be a better father to his sons than Buddy was to him. Because but you know Buddy tried, but he just wasn't. He was that one. He wasn't made that. He wasn't built to be a a father. He wasn't. He wasn't a uh, an emotional or a man who showed his, his warmth and love. And Archie's you know <laughs> in the name of his father it was sort of the same way. But he made an effort to spend time when he could with the three boys there he made some a lot of home movies that you know have been seen in documentaries about the family where when they were young and he would throw them passes from their the balcony of their their home in the garden district of in new orleans and you know tried to be there for that and he he he's got to so many of their games he's crisscrossed the country you know i mean he's put a lot of mileage into seeing his sons he and Olivia both, you know, they they would go from a Peyton game to an Eli game in high school. And then in the pros, they'd go from a, you know, a Peyton Colt game to an Eli Giant game. You know, they were constantly on the road. But it was a double-edged sword for Archie because he, you know, he, as I said in the book, he once said, I hate this game now. He, he You know, he hates because what he was referring to was the pressure of watching his son's having to win in these and and they took so many losses so many so many epic defeats along the way that it killed him too so yeah he he became, he, he almost has a love hate relationship with football now because <laughs> of watching his sons lose so much but they also won you know they won four times won four rings yeah and you know <laughs> it's part of the yin and yang of being uh, being archie Mm. The good and the bad. <laughs> right. Speaking of the good and the bad, you uh, you you write about how Peyton Manning, who of course is now retired, uh, you say his legacy is unfairly damned by faint praise as the best yeah. regular season quarterback in history. And of course, what you're referring to there is that when it comes to postseason play, his record uh, was fourteen and thirteen, which is yeah. not great compared to other great players, namely Tom Brady, uh, chief among them, as someone who seemed to like come or into Eli. his own in the postseason. <laughs> yeah, or Eli, for, for that matter. Um, yeah. I think that's so intriguing because, of course, in so many ways, Peyton Manning was uh, a stunning quarterback and achieved so much and broke so many records, and yet there is this slight sense of not quite being all he could have been that reminds us of the mixed legacy of Archie Manning as well. Yeah, this is why it's such a great story. If they had just come along and, and if he had been Tom Brady, because there's a lot there's a lot of undercurrent with Brady too of, you know, crushing defeats and whatever. They're always for an athlete. It's never a hundred percent. But if he had been like Brady and he had won most of the time, it wouldn't have been as good a story. You know, and and if Archie had been like Starback and, you know, immediately made a team a winner in the NFL. It would have been a great story, but it, would have, it wouldn't have been these. It wouldn't have been the story that it is now, which is so human. You know, I mean, what can you say about the man? You know, uh, uh, Peyton lost to, lost to Brady 14 out of 21 games, which is terrible. But the last time they met, you know, 
the second to last game of Peyton's career. Peyton won and went to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl, even though he didn't do much. And, you know, he was a shell of himself and the defense won it. But, again, this is how all things come around full circle with the Manning. You know, right, right. In the end, in the end, it's a in the in the end, it's a it's a happy ending. It's a good story, but there's so much pain to go through, right? To get there, that that's really the story, right? And in some ways, it makes Peyton Manning a much more compelling figure. You tell us that, in a sense, those really painful postseason defeats, that devastation humanized Peyton Manning in the in the in the eyes of many, and that's maybe one reason why you say Brady is the better quarterback. Peyton Manning is the better icon. And yeah, a- because he's more human than, than Brady. And he had to be because he had to deal with defeat. And people like that are all, always get a lot of, a lot more sympathy. They become more human. I just finished a book that will be out next year on Don Shula. And it, it's the same way. You know, he, he, the, the, the most wins in history and the, and the only perfect season. Yet only two championships in, in, in all those years, you know, and and the biggest the biggest upset defeat in history are on his shoulders. The Jets in Super Bowl three. Mm. So it's the same kind of thing. These people have to endure so much and live with with defeat that they never thought that they would that they would have. Hmm. Peyton lost his first seven games to Brady. He was probably thinking, "I'm never going to beat this guy," hmm. but he just hung in there. And you know, in the end, he has the better stats, or he did when he retired. And so that's why I call him, you know, the 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 best quarterback based on all the all the objective numbers, the best quarterback, the best quarterback, or the best, you know, the best icon because of all the pain he went through. But Brady is going to, by the time he's through, is going to have all the records anyway, right? Hmm. So he's going to be the best objectively, empirically, the best quarterback and the most championships. Right, if but, not the best story. But, but, but is Brady on all those commercials? I mean, I'm waiting for the next round of Peyton commercials to hit when the season <laughs> begins, you know? It's three years since he's retired. I think his jersey is still like the number two or three best-selling jersey hmm. in football. Let's, Would that be the case with Brady? I don't think so. Probably not. Let's spend a few minutes talking about Eli, and he is a really interesting story in and of himself, you call him at one point hero and anti-hero as at, at, at once. And you, you quote one of his own centers at one point calling him one of the most unathletic quarterbacks in the NFL. There are ways in which the success story of Eli Manning is a really big surprise. How has he managed to achieve what he has, including two Super Bowl rings? Yeah, he's he's the Billy Baldwin, as you know, the joke was, and that one of those uh, ESPN shows where Alec Baldwin asked Archie, "Who's, you know, um, Peyton or Eli?" And you know, he said, "Well, uh, you answer me. Who, you know, Alec or Billy?" And it's true that <laughs> it's true that that Eli is sort of the Billy Baldwin. He'll never be on that same level of recognition, fame, even love in some cases for Peyton, although he had his enemies too. Eli didn't really have Eli doesn't really have enemies. He's he is such an even. They used to call him Easy Eli, you know, because he's such a, a laid back kind of guy. And not on the field, of course. I mean, he's a terror, you know, on the field. But you don't really know what makes him tick. He, he's so he's so inscrutable that you know one one of the giants said you know he puts all that on just to, as a defense mechanism, so he doesn't have to answer a lot of hard questions. And, Whatever, and that might be true, but I just don't think Eli 
knows himself who he is. <laughs> I don't think Eli can can could sum up, you know, who he what he would do if he wasn't a quarterback. Because you know what would he, we know with Peyton he could probably be an actor or you know he could who knows what he could be a businessman. But Eli, you know, we just don't know because he hides behind that facade of you know almost bizarre behavior sometimes, you know, where he says things that don't make sense. So, I mean, I like him because he's, he reflects his generation, Generation X. I mean, he reflects that the way Archie reflected the baby boomer generation. Mm, you know? Interesting. He's, he's, he's not a guy you can easily figure out. But I think he's, you know, he's content with that. Right. He's content with fooling people. You also tell us. He gets a kick out of it. You also tell us he's often characterized as the uh, the bumpkin brother, the country bumpkin brother. But his IQ is probably the highest of all three Mannings. And someone you quote says, Eli is smart. He's playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. Uh, what are the most Im- important examples of Eli Manning's smarts, his intelligence? Well, you remember when, they, when the Giants, a couple of years, when they were still good and going to the playoffs, you know, they, they were going to go to Green Bay and for the first playoff game and, and – Beckham and a couple of other, you know, receivers, and you know, went down to Miami instead of you know, hanging out and uh, practicing, getting ready for the game. They were, they went down and were on, were on a boat, and you know, in Miami and everything. So Eli had to be the one to sort of take the pressure off them, and he did. He was very canny about it. He said, you know, I was very disappointed. So everybody hunched forward. All the reporters like, what's he going to say? Is he going to dump dump on his own teammates? He said. I'm very disappointed in the uh, clothes they took down there. They wore flip-flops and shorts, and, you know, they should have dressed better, and, you know, they shouldn't have taken their shirts off. I wouldn't have done that, which is a good thing because <laughs> nobody wants to see Eli with his shirt off. But he <laughs> sort of diffused the situation, you know, the way nobody else could. And so that, you know, in his mind, he knew how to do that. He knew how to play the press like that mm. um if you would expect peyton to do something like that because peyton was so wise when it came to communicating with the media mm. but you didn't expect it with eli right so, you know unfortunately they didn't do very well in, in, in the game in green bay but you know that was an example of eli being a leader of the team and, and by god if he's not a leader by now after all these years i don't know when he when he could you know when when he couldn't be a leader so, you know, it's up to him now to get that team back on track, and we'll see how he does. Right. And you tell us Eli has set out to be not Peyton. And, of course, we could read those words about somebody, and and the implication would be that there is real estrangement between them. But, of course, that's not the case in the with, with Eli Manning and Peyton Manning, although there are probably a couple of ways in which the relationship between them is in some ways maybe a little bit uneasy. But uh, by and large, it sounds like these are loving brothers. Yeah, well, you know what? It's almost like they're not bro- – it's almost like Peyton was a, a father figure to Eli. Because I said before, he's five years older, and he had achieved so much success in high school when Eli was just a, just a young kid, you know. And the separation between them, between those two was great. Peyton was dealing on a whole different level in his his circles, but they always yes the the fam the, something about the the blood here you know something about the way they they hang together and every you know the three musketeers all for one and 
that's the way they that's the way it is even the, even with the separations between the two and the different personalities they always they always you know were were very much i mean all the tragedies and everything that happened in a way you know i you know uh, cooper had to live his dream through peyton right i mean and he did. I mean, he did. He was, He's content to do that. Of course, making $12 million a year as an energy trader doesn't hurt either. <laughs> right. He's a very talented guy, Cooper. And by the and, way, but, by the way, um, I am so glad you pointed out the fact that Peyton wears number 18 in the NFL or wore number 18 yeah. in the NFL specifically to honor his brother, Cooper. I did not know that till I read your book. Which, is, uh, which was honoring Archie uh, originally, Cooper, because Archie wore that as a pro. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wore that in college. He wore that at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. They they have the uh, the speed limit there at eighteen because of Archie Manning. You know, <laughs> so um, yeah, it's it's the little symbolic gestures like that, you know, um, that keep them bonded. And you can see when they do those commercials, they they're, they're not acting. They they have a real love for each other. Again, that's a, uh, the doing of Olivia in many ways because you know Archie is not a not an overtly warm man he's he's almost standoffish you know but she gave them their person you know their human qualities their personalities and you know it's still there today it's they are just they they don't spend a lot of time together anymore but they, you know they'll they'll be at that manning passing academy every year down in down in new down in uh, louisiana because that's a family thing that was started by archie he expects all the family to be there, and they're there. Right. In and fact, you you quote Archie as saying that for the last twenty years, Peyton and Eli and Cooper have been there, and they have not missed a minute of it. I mean, they could not be more devoted uh, to that uh, that annual event, that uh, that that passing clinic, that the the Manning Passing Academy, which uh, says a lot about this family and their devotion to this game and to each other. The only time you'll see Peyton pick up a football now, which mm. is you know, I mean, that might be the reason to go to that thing. Wow, because you know he's he's not a football player anymore, but uh, you, kids will, families will pay a lot of money just to you know, have the kid go and see Peyton throw a couple of wobbly passes now, because mm. that's the brand, that's the Manning brand, you know, that pose of Peyton throwing a football. It's like almost like the Jerry West. NBA logo, you know, Peyton throwing a football could be could be the NFL logo. So you know, that's what they that's what they go for. Hmm. A last quick question: Did any of the Mannings cooperate with you uh, in the writing of this book, and or was that did you even seek out that cooperation? No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't even seek it out because Archie and Peyton did a dual autobiography some time ago, actually a long time ago, 2000, for which Peyton got in trouble because he brought up that Jamie Norright thing again, the trainer, and he when he was, when it was supposed to be a gag order on it. And so, you know, he got in trouble there. But they did that, and Eli would never co-op. I mean, Eli wouldn't know what to say, uh, you know, in a, in a writing about himself, talking about himself. But you're right, I didn't want that. I didn't want that because I didn't want it to be there. It's not their book my book hmm. you know it's my I, I don't I, w- I would never feel that I I never want to feel that I was under pressure to slant you know the theme or the content in any way and you, you do that when you when you when you you know you bring a person into a project it's going to be their project you know and 
they, you know, they've said enough. They've said enough to to fill fifty books. <laughs> so I just wanted to put it all in con- in the proper context and tell it tell it the way you know it should be told. Well, I think you've really done that. The book again is titled "In the Name of the Father: Family, Football, and the Manning Dynasty," published by Live Right Publishing, a division of W. W. Norton, and the author Mark Rabowski. Mark Rabowski, congrats on a really entertaining and illuminating book, and thank you for joining me today well, on the morning show. Oh, thank you. It's been a lot of fun.